0: Remember, first of all, we have a theme for this year. You're going to hear more about it uh, at the annual meeting, so make sure you stick around for that. But our theme for this year very simply is to have a clear vision of hope for 2020. And we want to have a clear vision. We're playing on this idea that it is the year 2020, and we know we go get our eyes checked and we try to see if we have 2020 vision. And so um, a lot of us, we wear glasses to correct that. But our lens, the lenses that we use as believers, is the very Word of God. Amen? So all that we say and do, especially here as a church, and of course individually as children of God, is to uh, come through that lens of Scripture. And we have as our theme verse for this year, 1 Peter 3.15, that says that we are to set Christ apart as Lord in our hearts and always be ready to give an answer to uh, about the hope, that you have in you or that you possess. And it's a beautiful thing to recognize that not only do we want to bring clarity of vision to all that we say and do this year, but that we do it with that ultimate goal of hope. Because we are people of hope, and we live in a world that desperately needs hope. Am I right? And so we, we represent the hope of Jesus Christ. And so that is our theme for this year. But we also have a sermon series we've been going through in the book of 1 John, It's a short book with five chapters, but so powerful because it reminds us that we are to walk in the light. We are to be walking in the light of Christ because we reflect his light. And so uh, the book of 1 John, written by John the Apostle, who also wrote Revelation and the Gospel, he tries to make it very clear to us as believers, written to those who are already in Christ, that we are to no longer hang out in the shadows, but to walk in the light because that's where he is Christ is the light of the world and so we are to to hang out with him today you're going to learn that about that word abide what does it mean to abide in him and to spend time with him but then we can reflect his light to the world around us because it's a world that needs hope and it's a world in darkness without Christ and so it needs his light and we simply reflect that light. And so that is uh, our theme for this sermon series. It is about um, walking in the light and how do we do that. And so, yes, it's very practical. Uh, but today, in our passage of Scripture, which is 1 John 2, it's uh, verses 25 to 29. So it'll be up in a few minutes on the screen, but you can turn to it in your Bibles if you'd like. 1 John 2, 25 to 29. Here is what the Apostle John tells us. He says, do not believe the lie. And that's what he's going to talk about. Don't believe the lie. And how do we take the truth and use that as our confidence so that we are not deceived by any lie about anything other than what we know to be true in the Word of God? So today, it really is in a matter of contrast, as I've said before, uh, the Apostle uh, John speaks a lot about contrast, dark and light and life and death. And um, he talks here about truth and deception or truth and lie. And so I think we all know uh, what the word marketing means, the word um, sort of public relations, the word branding, promotion, advertising, or even the word propaganda. you have an idea? Like what You have to say it out loud, but something must come to mind when you hear the word propaganda. And it usually is sort of taken in a negative light, isn't it? Well, I want to share with you, before we get into God's word, to kind of give us some context. I want to share with you a story about the one man who most of us have never heard of, who kind of began this whole ball rolling at the beginning of the early 20th century. About a changing the whole idea of propaganda, putting a, a sort of a posit, trying to put a positive spin on it, but this is going to be a story about the power of advertising, the power of words in our life, and so this is an article uh, written by Dr. Richard Gunderman, and uh, a medical doctor uh, on an academic website called The Conversation, and it is a story about the power. ...of propaganda, and he's going to introduce to us this person that I'm talking about. So just sit for a few minutes and listen as I kind of unfold this story as he tells it um, from from his article. So he starts his article this way. The most interesting man in the world. Reach out and touch someone. Finger-licking good. (laughs) Such advertising slogans have become fixtures of American culture... And each year, millions now tune into the Super Bowl as much for the ads as for the football. You can That's all right. You can confess that later. We know it. While no single person can claim exclusive credit for the ascendancy of advertising in American life, no one deserves credit more than a man most of us have never heard of, Edward... Bernays. Let me tell you a little bit about Edward. He goes on to say that he was the 20th century's foremost salesman of ideas. Bernays pioneered advertising, public relations, marketing, and even changed the idea of propaganda. In 1928, he published his most seminal work called simply Propaganda, in which he argued that public relations or marketing or branding is not a gimmick, but it's a necessity. Now here's what he said in that book. So this is Edward Bernays. Listen, listen carefully to what he is saying. The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society... "...constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, governed. our minds are molded, our tastes formed, and our ideas suggested largely by people we have never heard of. It is they who pull the wires that control the public mind." That is the mind of the man... Who began this idea of marketing, promotions of propaganda. Listen a little bit more about Edward Bernays. He helped the Woodrow Wilson administration promote the idea that World War I was good and it was intended to bring democracy to Europe. He helped them, he helped him win uh, the war sort of on propaganda. Having seen how effective propaganda could be during that war, Bernays rebranded propaganda, which by then had become a negative term, into this term of public relations. He said he worked, now listen, he said he worked to engineer people's consent to control and regiment the masses according to the advertising company's will without people even knowing it. He worked with companies like General Electric, Procter & Gamble, the American Tobacco Company, CBS, even many other politicians. Now, here's a part of this article that really caught my attention most. So Bernays, to overcome the sales resistance, he called it, to cigarette smoking, which, of course, we know was widely (coughs) popular back in the 20s, the 30s especially, but in order to overcome the resistance to purchasing cigarettes by young women, Bernays staged a demonstration at the 1929 Easter Parade in New York City. And he had, all, he had hundreds of fashionable young women flaunt their cigarettes at the, at the uh, beginning of the Easter Parade at the front as what he called their torches of freedom. You are a free woman if you can smoke cigarettes. He promoted Lucky Strikes, an old brand of cigarettes, by convincing women that the forest green hue of the cigarette pack was among the most fashionable colors, and everybody, every woman need to have one. right? In the 30s, he promoted cigarettes as both soothing to the throat and slimming to the waistline. But listen to this. At home, Edward Bernays was attempting to persuade his very own wife to kick the habit because he knew early on even in the 1930s, that it could very well cause cancer. So even while promoting cigarettes as soothing and slimming, he was already aware of the early studies that linked smoking to cancer. Bernays also used fear to sell products for Dixie cups. Remember those? they still out? The little cups that you use, right? So he worked for them. So he launched a campaign to scare people into thinking that only disposable little paper cups were sanitary. And as part of this campaign, and how deep that he goes, he founded the Committee for the Study and Promotion of the Sanitary Dispensing of Food and Drink just to give his ad campaign a sense of legitimacy. So he founded an organization to do research that would support his advertising uh, and promotion of buying cigarettes to young women. It goes even further, the article. In the 1920s, the Nazis use Bernays' writings and success as their model for their own propaganda in promoting the Third Reich and to convince Germany of the greatness of Hitler and the value of what we now know to be the Holocaust. So today we might call Edward Bernays a a pioneer in the form of branding, but the writer of this article goes on to say, at its core, it represents little more than a particularly brazen set of techniques to manipulate people to get them to do your bidding, and its main underlying purpose, of course, is to make money. By convincing people that they want something they do not need, Bernays sought to turn citizens and neighbors into merely consumers who use their purchasing power to propel themselves down the road of eternal happiness. And then the author closes his article with this sobering observation. Without a moral compass, the doctor says... Such a transformation promotes a patronizing and ultimately cynical view of human nature and human possibilities, one as likely to destroy lives as to build them up. See, what he's saying here is something like this, this true story in our history, goes way beyond just trying to get somebody to buy a cigarette. What happens is if we listen to the lies long enough, they become part of our true DNA. It changes our, our compass of morality about where we find that. And it even, he says, is likely to destroy lives as to build them up. And we think, you know, and we can just be very casual about what we see and hear in the world around us. But we know the more and more that we, we lack filtering everything that we see in here through the word of God, the truth of the word of God, the more we will become convinced that we are somebody that we are not. And so what the article is saying is that these things might sound innocuous sometimes. But over the course of time, as Edward Bernays was trying to do, to manipulate the masses, the mass consciousness, to believe something we didn't even see it coming. See, To believe something we had no idea that we were now even believing in. So today, of course, we're all aware of the power of advertising, right? We know it. But how do we avoid being sold something we don't need or doing something that we don't need to be doing or being convinced that we need to be like this person or that person or to act like somebody that we are not? But even more important, how do we avoid finding our identity in what the world tells us and instead rely on who God says we are? Last week we defined the word world. Remember that? And it is this idea, it is the the philosophical value system, the quote-unquote economy of the enemy of God. And he's got a name. He is called the devil. He is called Satan. And the Word of God calls him the prince of the power of the air. It calls him the god of this age. And so when we say the world, when the Bible talks about the world, it is referring to this system that he is overseeing. And this idea is just one small aspect of how he is a deceiver, And how he is a manipulator. And so what the Apostle John is doing in in the book of John and in our passage today, which I'm going to read now, he is warning us. He's warning believers. And he is simply saying, you know what the truth is. Don't believe the lie. Stand on the truth. So I'm going to read this. This is 1 John 2, 25-29. And he says this, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. You have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So remember, as we, as we sort of unpack that for our remaining time together, remember that John is writing to believers. He's writing to Christians who can be secure in their faith, and he's not writing to them about their position before God or their salvation. He's not trying to get them to question, are you saved or not? He knows that they are saved, that they are believers. He's talking to them about their relationship with God, meaning their fellowship, their intimate fellowship with God. And that is what that word abide means. And we'll, we'll look at that towards the end uh, today. And so remember that, keep that in context. He is talking to believers about their fellowship with God. He's saying, how is your walk with the Lord? Are you walking in the light? Or are you hanging out in the shadows? And he's, he's getting to the heart of me saying, look, you know the truth. You've been taught the truth. Nobody has to reteach you the truth, meaning you have it. There's no new truth. Don't let somebody else tell you who Christ is other than apart from the word of God, what you've already learned. Stand on the truth. Do not believe the lies. And that's what he is saying. So let's unpack that a little bit, right? So he says, we can have confidence and resist the lies of the enemy, John says. And our confidence comes from abiding in the promises of God. And the promise he made that we can have confidence in is eternal life. That's what he says in verse 25. That's the promise that he made. The promise is nothing less than eternal life. And so we know the promise because we have the very word of God, the Bible. And it is against God's very nature to lie. Titus one two says this, In the hope of eternal life, there's that word hope again, in eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. See, that's the promise that we are to stand on. And we know that that is true. And it is not a lie. And nobody should tell us anything to the contrary. That we have the hope of eternal life, which God promised before the ages began, and God never lies. Hebrews 6.18 so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. You see how those, that connection keeps coming up over and over. Promises lead to hope. But where do we learn of the promises? The very word of God that he reveals to us. And that is what we stand on. So please notice both these verses, we're reminded that we have this great promise of hope from our God who cannot lie. So we can have full confidence and assurance in his promises, no matter the circumstances of life. No matter how shaky the ground is you're standing on. Whether it's financial troubles, maybe it's health issues, it's broken relationships, it's anxiety, it's worry, it's fear. No matter what the shaky ground seems like, no matter how shaky or unstable your ground seems like right now in your life, we can stand firm on the solid ground of the promises of God, which always lead to hope. So, John is encouraging us. John tells us that we may be deceived by people he calls antichrists. We talked about them last week. These are very simply false teachers. False prophets who are sort of the forerunners to the Antichrist who will come during the tribulation. And so he is saying, those people who are trying to deceive you about who Jesus really is. So you remember when I, when I began our sermon series, I said in, in sort of context that John was, per, he was writing mainly to refute some heresies in the church. That these were strong believers who knew the truth, but there were some among them, but also some from outside that were trying to come in and teach him things about Jesus that weren't true and saying he was not really God or he wasn't truly a man. He was more of just a spirit and an apparition and things that John is saying you know better. Be careful of what you listen to. Be careful of who you let influence you and always go back and check the Word of God, because that's where we have our promises. See, that's what he's saying. So these antichrists, as he called them, were leading people astray, getting them to abandon the true teachings they already had. John says, you're strong in your faith. You know what's true. Be firm in your convictions that what you have been taught from the Scriptures is and will always be the truth. See, church, we have to give consistent and constant attention to what we're being taught, what we are hearing and being told in every area of life, whether it's on social media, whether it's on the news feed, whether it's from politicians or people in your own home, in every area of life. But especially When you hear somebody teaching about the Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ, I've said it before, I'll say it again here, do not ever just take my word for it. When I proclaim to you the word of God, when I preach and teach, the Apostle Paul said, follow me only as I follow who? As I follow Christ, see? Go to God's word, check me on what I'm saying. There's only uh, one infallible and inerrant word of truth, and that is the Holy Scriptures, what we call the Bible. You know, it says uh, it, that in First Peter 2 that we are the priesthood of believers. Did you ever hear that about yourself? If, if John is saying that we are to remember who, who we are in, in Christ and not believe the lie of, of the world or anybody else, he says, remember who you are. In First Peter, Peter says, you're a priesthood of believers. You're all believers. You're all now considered priests. You remember in the Old Testament... The Old Testament sacrificial system, there were priests, they were designated and set apart by God to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. but right now, Hebrews tells us, we have a one great high priest, and that is Jesus Christ, and he intercedes for us. But he says, in the church, we are actually being built up as a priesthood of believers. You see, there should never be this what we call this clergy laity this disconnect that we are all capable of going to the word of God and studying it and proclaiming the word of God and and the gospel of grace and we have the very truth at our fingertips and we also have the Holy Spirit and he says that in just a second but look at this first Peter 2 verse 5 and verse 9 you yourselves like living stones are being built up see the, the, the imagery there being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy, which means set apart, a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. We're being built up so all of us can offer sacrifices to God. You used to be just the priest. And he said, you're all priests now. You're all priests now. is that amazing? Because we've all been given that right and that privilege to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. That, that's our worship. And that's our prayer, that's our devotion to his word. In verse 9 says, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Out of darkness into marvelous light. Walking in the light, no longer in darkness. Why? So we can proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. We can make him preeminent. Our, our, one of our greatest privileges as children of God is the assurance of our salvation, that we have been called out of darkness and the walk in the light. And the apostle John is saying, look, he's saying, you know the truth. You know what it's like to walk in the light. Don't let anyone deceive you. Don't let the enemy deceive Send his antichrists into your life. So we're careful. There's this old saying that we are to live in the world, but not of it. Did you ever hear that? What does it mean? Well, we are kind of biding our time, in a sense, worshiping God, giving him the glory. It's way more than biding, but you know what I mean. We are awaiting the return of Jesus. We are like a bride who has been betrothed, to her future husband. We are sort of in this engagement phase where Christ has paid the price for us. And he said, I will come back to claim my bride. We look forward to that. But until then, we are to remain a holy and royal priesthood, setting ourselves apart, being pure and holy for him. And Apostle John is saying, he's saying simply this, you can do it. Do you ever tell that to your kids? Maybe they're going out to to play a, a sport and you're like, yeah, you can do it. I believe in you. John is saying, you know the truth. I believe in you. You can do it. Walk in the light. Don't enjoy that darkness anymore. And when people tell you things about who you should be or who you are, or they even tell you about Jesus, he says, you know the truth. Make sure that it's coming from the very word of God. So everything that we hear and listen to and see should be filtered through the Word of God. Because that is the one absolute truth that we can stand firm on. And finally, John says in his passage, he says that we are to abide. He says we are to abide in Him. And he says it a few times. He says abide in Him. Abide in Him means, very simply, that we are to draw closer to Him. It means to remain, to dwell in intimate relationship with Christ. How can we abide? How do we remain close to Jesus and dwell in Him and spend time with Him, walk in the light? It is through the power and the strength and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called the Anointed One. In verse 27 of our passage, He says, "...as His anointing teaches you about everything." See, church, as believers in Jesus, the Son of God, as Savior, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. That's a truth from God's Word. And so Christ has given us the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide, to illuminate the Holy Scriptures so that we can abide more closely with Christ each day we walk with Him and walking in the light, that marvelous light. Remember from last week's reading in chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, he says, You have been, man, this is believers, Christians, you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. See there? That kind of sums it all up and continues on it today. It says, You know the truth. You have the Holy One, the anointed one inside of you. And you have the knowledge. You have what you need. He says, I'm not writing because you don't know the truth. I'm writing because you do know. See, we have already been anointed. As believers in Christ, the Bible clearly teaches us we don't need to seek another anointing of the Holy Spirit. We can pray for filling... We can pray that He fills us, which simply means that we are obedient. We ask God, help us to be obedient. Because when we're obedient to Him, we leave the things of the world aside and we leave room for the filling of the Holy Spirit. You know how that works? Listen, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation and He never leaves us, so we are secure in our faith. That's the indwelling. But the filling of the Holy Spirit is when we simply pray, Holy Spirit, we can pray, Holy Spirit, fill us, which means help us to be obedient. I want to lay aside all the junk and make room for you so that I can obey you and abide in you and follow you and not my will. See? That's what we mean when we say praying for the filling of the Holy Spirit. But the anointing, that blessing, that has already happened. And praise God, we have the Holy Spirit within us, that we are anointed ones, a royal and holy priesthood. 2 Corinthians 1 says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. See, it happened. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Doesn't that sound like we can have confidence? And that's what the Apostle John is saying. Be confident, believers. Brothers and sisters, be confident because you have the truth. You have everything you need to know to abide in Christ. That means remaining in his word. We keep learning and growing. Abiding in him. Leaning closer into him. Pressing in closer and closer. Trusting him more and more each day. In John 18, we read about the interaction between Jesus and Pontius Pilate. Remember him? Here's what Jesus tells Pilate. Jesus says, My kingdom is not from the world. And Pilate said to him, Oh, so you're a king? And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And in verse 38, Pilate said to him, What is truth? is truth is there a more profound question than any human being could ever ask it it is that the greatest of all questions that has plagued all of humanity throughout history what is truth church it's not elusive it's not out there somewhere for all of you x-file fans it is in here and it's in the word of god that's where the truth is See, John is saying you don't have to go searching for the truth. It's not something elusive that kind of hangs in the air and we'll never know. We have the Holy Scriptures. The revealed Word of God Himself is the truth. We have His Word so we know that we can stand on it. And Jesus said that everyone who is of the truth listens to His voice. Meaning if you are abiding and remaining in the truth, you listen to His voice. Listen to the Savior's voice, church. He says, your identity is a child of God, a servant of the King, saved and sealed. Let us not be deceived by the world or believe anything contrary to the truth that we have in Christ. You know, if you're here this morning, if you've already believed in the Lord Jesus for salvation, the Apostle John says to you, be confident in the promises of God about who you are in Christ. But, if you've joined us today and you're still seeking... If you're still asking that question, what is truth? That same Apostle John, in his Gospel, says this. He records the words of Jesus. Jesus says these words. We should hang on today. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Gospel is simple and clear. If you receive by faith the free gift of salvation offered by the grace of God. Believing in the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is Savior to pay for your sin, you are saved. And church, that is the truth.